you. We have so much to catch up on. The longest government shutdown in history just ended. For now. Sintoya Brown was finally granted clemency. The Democrats took back the House. Three women have announced their candidacy or intent to run in the 2020 election. Maggie Rogers released her dazzling debut album. Slater Kinney is making music with St. Vincent. My all-time favorite artist Jenny Lewis just released the first track from her forthcoming album. Phoebe Bridgers just dropped an album with Connor Oberst for their new project. And King Princess released a song with Fiona Apple. And that's all just been this month. 2019 is bringing us some seriously wonderful things already, and we've got so much more in store. Anyway, I'm Lauren Gardner, and this is Sad Girl Jams, a podcast about music, feminism, and mental health, and where the lines of those things overlap. Before we dive into today's episode, I have an exciting announcement. Sad Girl Jams is officially on Patreon. I love working on this podcast, but it can be really challenging to produce it for free when I already have a full-time job captivating most of my attention. So if you want to hear more Sad Girl Jams, want to help me honestly just get better recording equipment, or if you just think I'm doing a good job and want to donate to help me keep this going, please consider contributing to the show's Patreon. You can donate online at patreon.com slash sadgirljams. Thanks for your consideration. All right. Now that that housekeeping is over, let's get into it, friends. So this is something I've spent years mulling over. Because that's what we do when we know something isn't quite right for us, isn't it? We run the tapes back in our minds, looking for a reason, any reason, to explain away the bad parts of something, clinging to the highs that were good. Probably sounds like I'm describing a relationship, right? I am, sort of. As embarrassing and potentially shameful, depending upon your preconceived ideas as this may be, I'm talking about my relationship with country music. Country and I have always had a tumultuous relationship my whole life, ranging from an act of preteen quote-unquote rebellion in in using my allowance money to buy a Faith Hill CD at Target after my mom expressed an adamant hatred of the genre, to the countless hours I spent driving Southern California freeways cathartically yell-singing the lyrics along with the band Perry after a particularly ugly breakup, to the only time I went to a music festival. Stagecoach, which takes place the weekend following Coachella on the same fairgrounds. This was in 2016, months after Donald Trump's election, when I, like many others, 
experienced the crashing realization that the world was about to change drastically from the relative safety and ease I'd experienced during the Obama years. As I gazed out at more MAGA hats than I'd care to admit, standing with one of my best friends and her brother, listening to Marin Morris's sassy, joyous anthems beloved by all of us, I remember thinking, I don't get it. There's so much joy in what we're listening to, but everyone wearing one of those hats feels so drastically different from me, and I don't know if I can be happy here knowing just how divided we are. But the thing that was just as unsettling, if not more so, than the cayenne peppering of MAGA hats across the audience was looking out and seeing a nearly identically dressed sea of pretty much exclusively white people. And if my friend's brother and I, who are both very white but dress a little more alternatively, stuck out like sore thumbs, then that really got me thinking. Immediately I thought, well, shit, what if I was a person of color? What if at a music festival for a genre so tied to what we want to conceptualize as only the endearing parts of Southern culture, I was African-American? Would I feel comfortable here? What if I wasn't a femme bisexual who easily passes off as straight, who was here with her friends? What if I was with an obvious girlfriend? What vile harassment would come tumbling out of the mouth of some frat boy who was on his 11th Bud Light of the afternoon? All that being said, God, I hope I would have been wrong about the crowd. I hope that if a few African-American kids or queer couples were in that sea of bandanas and cowboy hats, they would have felt safe, felt included there just the same as anyone else. I hope the way a little kid hopes on Christmas when she's realizing Santa probably isn't real, that maybe, just maybe, she'll hear something on the roof that sounds like reindeer hooves. Wishful and unlikely. Now, this might be making it sound like I hate everything country music stands for. That couldn't be further from the truth. When I've needed something that feels like home, that brings me joy, that fills me with hope in listening to stories told over steady drums and twangy guitars, of jilted lovers finding stable ground to walk upon again, or simple idealism about appreciating the little things in life, there's a significant portion where I've turned to country music. I've allowed myself to indulge in the fantasy of something that felt akin to coming home to a small town full of close friends I've never known, and a coondog on the porch of an idyllic cabin I've never inhabited. It's an approximation of the life I do live, just with the brightness and saturation turned up a little. Because for me, and I think for a lot of people, that's the draw of country music, right? The fantasy. Putting yourself in the shoes of... I don't know, an outlaw on the run, someone returning to their one true love after a long journey of self-discovery, or best of all, idealizing a simple life of someone who might not have much in the world as far as material goods go, but who has his truck to take him home to his wife and kids, and has his faith to keep him sturdy. But how much of that is genuine respect and reverence, and how much of it, held up against the light of the multi-million dollar country music machine, is just an attempt to glamorize everyday Americans' lives and downplay their hardships to lull us into complacency. Drink another beer, support the NRA, make a reductive remark to your wife, whatever. This is what's so hard about loving country music. It's impossible, and rightly so, to divorce myself from the attitudes that, while maybe not as extreme as what I just described, distill so effortlessly into exclusionary toxic behaviors. I want to love country music. I listened to Sam Hunt's first CD every single day my last semester of college. I bonded over country music as a genre with more of my close friends than any other genre. Even my mom and I ended up singing Shania Twain songs together around the house when I was in middle school. I want to love country music so badly, but I'm not the type of person country music has traditionally wanted to love. 
Historically, country music has, paradoxically for all its emphasis on home, thumbed its nose at a lot of inclusivity. Darius Rucker has been the token black guy for, like, decades. The Dixie Chicks were sent death threats from former fans after Natalie Maines spoke out against George W. Bush and his Iraq War at a concert in London, and were reviled upon their return to the CMAs to perform daddy lessons on stage with Beyonce nearly a decade later. The LGBT community has been all but excluded from the country up until Casey Musgraves hit the scene. I don't want country, a genre I've known firsthand to be full of warmth and joy, to be intrinsically racist or homophobic based on its exclusionary track record. But if the cowboy boot fits, do I really have any choice but to wear it and take a long, hard look in the mirror? Trying to defend country music sometimes sounds like trying to defend an abusive boyfriend, something I also have no shortage of experience with. And that makes me nervous because I don't want the things I love most about the genre to be the exceptions to the rule. I want them to be the harbingers of better things to come, of places where everyone gets to pull up a chair to listen to the radio. Now seems like an appropriate time to talk about feminism. Country is full of indomitable powerhouse female artists like Dolly Parton, Reba McIntyre, Shania Twain, Martina McBride, Faith Hill, Leanne Womack, Carrie Underwood, Jennifer Nettles. The list goes on and on. But so many women in country are hesitant to describe themselves as feminists. In case there's any absence of clarity, let me point you in the direction of, and I'm going to butcher this because I always do, I'm sorry, Chimamada Ngoje Achidi's definition of a feminist, a person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. So many of the narratives of these women's songs have these themes, but it always feels like a disproportionately high amount of female country stars are loath to call themselves feminists. And of course, I understand that the listener demographic might have a certain reaction to doing that. This is, unfortunately, the genre that brought us Stand By Your Man, but it makes looking up to them more complicated. Take Carrie Underwood, for example, whose prolific career has brought her seven Grammys, 14 CMAs, 10 Billboard Awards, a Grand Ole Opry introduction, and more accolades than I can list off of Wikipedia in a timely fashion. She's built that career on so many songs that are, when you listen to them, deeply feminist, but she's gone on record objecting when asked if she identifies as a feminist. And sure, I could see how people with a more feeble opinion of what feminism is could use the identifier to interpret some of her songs as man-hating. But while there's righteous anger directed at men who treat her song's protagonists poorly in several of her smash hits, there's so much more than that to them. Her songs are, frequently, about agency, about refusing to accept anything less than what you deserve, and being a role model for other women who might be struggling to do that themselves. And that right there is Feminism 101. <laughs> I've bent your ears long enough talking about Dolly Parton in previous episodes, so all I'm going to do here is throw out a quick reminder how she, in refusing to be reduced to a punchline, built a formidable career for herself without compromising her kindness toward other people, and while identifying as a feminist all along the way. And in doing so, she paved the way for the last person I want to talk about today, Ms. Casey fucking Musgraves. So Casey Musgraves first appeared on the scene competing on the TV show Nashville Star, but skyrocketed to country fame after touring with Lady Antebellum, co-writing a song for Miranda Lambert, and in particular, releasing her debut album, Same Trailer, Different Park, where her song Follow Your Arrow made its mark for the lyric, make lots of noise, kiss lots of boys, or kiss lots of girls if that's something you're into. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal, Casey discusses how the intention behind the song isn't to be rebellious or controversial. It's a genuine remark encouraging people to love who they are. She says, I think throwing the rebel card out there is real cheap. The things I'm singing about are not controversial to me. 
I don't push buttons to push buttons. I talk about things that have made an impression on me that a lot of people everywhere are going through. And make an impression she has. Same trailer, different park, certified gold in 2014. And since then, Musgraves has won four CMAs, two Grammys, and perhaps most importantly of all, become the most the first country singer to perform at a GLAAD event. GLAAD president and CEO Sarah Kate Ellis said of inviting Musgraves to perform at the 2014 New York GLAAD Media Awards, Casey Musgraves is ushering in a new era in the country music industry, where supporting all loving families is now a core country value. Musgraves continues to be a proud, vocal feminist and advocate for the LGBT plus community, and her most recent album, Golden Hour, is a true work of art. And if we can live in a world where a country music star is a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, hell, then that's a world whose outcome I'm invested in seeing. So I guess I'll be sticking around for now. But I ain't forgotten about those things you've done, country music. So that's all for today. Don't forget, I still want to hear your stories about music that's mattered to you. So if you have a story you'd like to share, please email me at sadgirljams at gmail.com or by clicking the little email icon on the Instagram page for this podcast. Follow along on Instagram, which I'm generally good about updating, and Twitter, which I'm trying to be better at updating, <laughs> at Sad Girl Jams. And again, if you feel like donating, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com sadgirljams. There's a special surprise in it for the first five donors. If you don't feel like donating but still want to help out the podcast, that's equally great. Please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help other people find this show. I've also updated the Sad Girl Jam Spotify playlist with songs from this episode, which you can find by searching Sad Girl Jam soundtrack on Spotify. Theme music is by the beautifully talented Moxie. You can listen to Moxie wherever you stream music and stay in touch with them on Instagram at Moxie Loves You. That's M-O-X-I Loves You. Sad Girl Jams is researched, written, and produced by me, Lauren Gardner. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and remember, stay kind and own your weird shit. Love y'all!